What are these tiny teeth, Ophelia? Tiny teeth and tiny tuckings. Because you tuck your hands in. You look like a little baby seal. Isn't that interesting? I was thinking tiny teeth and tiny tucking like empty chairs and empty tables. Tiny teeth and tiny tucking. You're just sleeping right through this. My name is Katya and this is The Animal That Changed You. I believe loving an animal is one of the most accessible, most available portals for self-healing in the whole world. And I wanna be here for you if you're in the middle of experiencing that right now, or if it's already happened to you, or if you might someday embark on that journey. It's my privilege to encourage you to open your heart to animals and challenge you to deepen your compassion just a little bit more. Welcome to The Animal That Changed You. Hi friends, I'm glad to have you back on The Animal That Changed You. How are you? How are your animals? What are they up to? What are they doing that is making you laugh? I sincerely want to know. I really do. So I hope you will message me and tell me if you're listening, what are they doing that makes you laugh? I'll tell you what Ophelia is doing that's making me laugh. She is digging, digging in my bed like she's never dug before. Like maybe there are truffles in my bed. I'm not sure. What's there? What is suddenly there in my bed? Digging in a way I've never seen her dig for minutes before she gets comfortable. And I I don't know why it's making me laugh. I'm sure I'm getting like every germ that she has walked on top of in this world, but it still makes me chuckle. Um, I also want to tell you that I came across two quotes that really um, struck me this week. One I've read many times before, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. It's by Anatole France. And the quote is, until one has loved an animal, a part of one's soul remains unawakened. I love that quote. It hit me the first time I heard it. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it or the hundredth. But hundredth. How do I say that? Yeah. Anyway, whichever way. Um, I hope it, you know, is nice to hear. And the other one is by Amy Sedaris. So opposite end of the spectrum. Sometimes losing a pet is more painful than losing a human because in the case of the pet, you were not pretending to love it. Oh my God, I love her. I love how much she makes me laugh. And speaking of Amy's, we have an Amy on the podcast today. Not Amy Sedaris, although Amy Sedaris, if you're listening, please come on my podcast. Today we have Amy Mills, another incredible Amy. She is the CEO of Amansa Pet. It's a game-changing nonprofit here in Austin, Texas, working hard to provide high-quality vet care for everyone. Amy is a very inspiring and eloquent person, but more than that, Amy Mills really articulates how and why there shouldn't be hurdles and challenges for somebody who wants to take care of and love their animal. So I'm glad she's here, and I'm excited to bring this episode to you. So Amy, we start every episode with a geek out minute, where I just... Yeah, I just geek out about you before we get to like the animals. Because okay. once it's about the animals, like it's all about the animals. <laughs> so if you will indulge me for just a minute. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Amy Mills, CEO of Emancipet, a nonprofit that's building national affordable vet care systems for everybody to, to serve the underserved, for everyone to be able to have access. Under your leadership, Emancipet has grown so much. You have two, you have nine clinics, seven brick and mortar, I believe, two vans, two mobile. Yeah. Um, in five cities, four in Texas, and Philly, which is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, you serve 
about 200,000 animals annually. Um, you have created a national social change training program, which I, oh, I want to just basically go to every day. I want to go back to school and just do that school. Um, you have a commitment, a vision for 2028 being, uh, by that time, being a, a goal, a benchmark for everyone in the United States to be able to off, to be able to afford and, and have offered to them affordable vet care. You're a social change warrior. You see need, you are able to have like macro vision and then take the micro steps, guiding almost 200 employees to, to work with you, to follow you. Um, I'm, I've been a fan of your work for a long time. I'm just, you redefine the idea of what nonprofits can do. And I'm so grateful that your your brain and heart are are with the animals. We we have a huge win in you. So thank you for making the time to come on this podcast and talk to us about how this all started and how you got to be a social change warrior, just in the arena, fighting the good fight. You are so sweet. You're gonna make me cry. It's <laughs> very, very sweet. I, I need to just hold true. that back on the hard days and be like, listen to Katya. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do I'll just call you and leave you a voicemail <laughs> it's me again <laughs> oh thank you how did all this start Amy did you where did you grow up I know you've been in Austin quite a while and you've been at Emancipate for I believe 15 years now yeah how did this all begin and, and were you always a nonprofit? you know was that always a magnet for you that sort of life yes in fact to be totally honest with you, I have never in my professional career worked for anything other than a nonprofit. I am 501c3 for life. I graduated from college, got my first job at a nonprofit organization. It was the United Way here in Austin and uh, never, never diverged from that path. Um, it's been nonprofit the entire time. As someone who's worked in nonprofits, um, I, I just want to acknowledge that because it it's a special it's a special collage yes. of issues and and people full of passion and and to be dedicated to it despite the challenges that arise working in a nonprofit the many many challenges yeah. um says so much about your your reservoir of hope of what you believe is possible yeah i mean i think you're totally right it is really difficult to work for uh, major social change in a resource constrained environment every single day when you face in many ways more kind of rules and regulations than a for profit company would. Um, and I think you're right in some ways that like hope is the thing. Like if you, you have to, you have to have an intentionally optimistic outlook in order to keep doing it and in order to keep dreaming big enough that hopefully one of those dreams can start to take hold and, and start to make change. So I agree with that. I think um, you it's like a, it's perhaps a little bit of naive optimism. Like it's, we have to be optimistic in, in the spite of the, in spite of the fact that we have a lot of setbacks and failures, but um, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm choosing, I'm choosing hope. <laughs> it's, it's nice and um, liberating to hear about the setbacks and failures because I, I actually think that's super important because I think when you're cause oriented and you care about something, it, the, the setbacks and failures feel personal or feel, you know, like you're letting down, you yeah. know, something bigger than you. But there 
there's no way around them. That's just how we learn, right? Oh, I mean, it's absolutely. just part of the job. No, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I think, honestly, if we if you don't have some failures under your belt, you're probably not pushing hard enough. And th- that's what this requires. You've got to push so hard, to, especially when you're up against something that's like a really entrenched social issue that has a lot of kind of institutional and kind of infrastructure history behind it. you got to push way hard, and you got to ask for big amounts of money, and you got to do those really risky, vulnerable, scary things. And you're going to get you're going to fall a lot and you're going to get told no a lot. And if you're not, if you're kind of, you know, inching along and you're getting yeses and you're, you know, making success happen, but it's incremental, you know, it's not um, you, you just don't get as far. You don't get as far. So I think that's built in. Wow. Oh. How do you gear up to ask for money for <laughs> emancipation? Like, yeah. So hard, Amy. How do you do it? I mean, I'm yeah. sure you could picture the animals. I'm sure you could picture the people that yes. can help because you're, you, you don't only help the animals. It's just why. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful what you do. It's everybody. That's the, I think that's the thing is that, um, for me, I, so I love animals. I have loved animals since the moment I was born. I mean, we're talking like my mom says that my first word was bird and my second word ever was wolf. Like it, that's just who I am. I've been on this path on, on the animal side for a really long time. But the work we do at Emancipet isn't about protecting animals from bad people. And a lot of the animal welfare space feels like that. You know, they've, they're, have they you know, heroically stepping up to protect animals from some bad actors from something. And we're saying that we're here to protect not just the animal, but the love that that animal shares with a person. So in some ways, I feel like we are standing in the space of saying we have to protect this love and we have to protect these bonds because those bonds mean so much to those families, the people and to the animals, right? So both sides are benefiting from that. And when I ask for money or when I, I mean, in some ways, you know, running a nonprofit is asking for other people to join in a movement, other people to make a sacrifice. I, I'm asking constantly, please come and donate to Emancipet. Please come and work for Emancipet. Please come and volunteer your time for Emancipet or be an advocate for uh, this mission. And when we're asking that, what we're trying to do is really, it's not about the money or the time. It's saying, do you want to join me in this work where we say everybody should be able to have that love. That that love that we're talking about, that bond, isn't something that we can let be a privilege for the wealthy in this country. That mm. we need to we need to stand up for that. And, and it sounds crazy to think that veterinary care is that thing, but veterinary care is that thing. When people can't afford veterinary care, animals suffer, people suffer, animal animals are you know kind of given up. And so it's this. It's basically just tapping into what people really care about. If you talk to anybody who loves animals, they know what that bond feels like in their life, you know? So you're just asking them to be in that space of imagining what it would be like if you have the bond you have with your own pets, but you don't have the ability to pay for care. You don't have the ability to afford to even give them their basic vaccines. And at that point, I'm just tapping into that and I'm giving people an opportunity to say, I want to make a better world for those folks and, and a donation or coming and volunteering or being that advocate is a way to do that. So in some ways I think it's easy right when you are really passionate about something to say you know if this isn't your thing that's okay 
But if there's a chance that this is your thing, I want to give you the opportunity to come and join us because there is nothing that feels better than knowing that your work every single day is protecting that love and creating more space for that love in this world. It's just the best thing in the world. I mean, what can you write a book? Can you write (laughs) several books? Can I read them every, can I buy them for everybody I know? I mean, that is, I've never heard it articulated just right like that before, that what you're protecting is it's, it is the animal, but it's beyond the animal. It's that, invisible, intangible, you know, sacred contract. Yes, that's exactly, that's a perfect phrase for it. Because if you think about it, I mean, think about every animal you've ever had, right? And the way that each one has contributed to your life in different ways and how your life would be different if you didn't have that. And when I think about the really big problems in this country, You think about poverty and you think about um, every inequity that there is. We have a lot of inequity in this country. And um, Emancipate's not trying to solve poverty or solve all of those inequities and all of those injustices. But we are saying that if you are living through some of those, the very least I can do is make sure you get to have a dog wagging its tail when you come home at the end of the day or a cat sitting on your feet. And I'm going to make sure that they stay healthy for as long as possible so that love is protected for as long as possible. It's, it's such a gift. It's really such a gift. And I'll, I'll tell you what I hear that I find to be the most transformative about what you do, which is what has been my experience as a shelter volunteer. I volunteered in Los Angeles at, through the LA Animal um, Services. And most people don't want to surrender their pet. Exactly. You know, most people come in bawling. Yes. M- nobody wants to give up on their animal. Very few people are quote unquote bad and heartless or don't care. And that's a separate issue for another, another time you come to the podcast. But most people uh, have to make a really hard choice. Yes. And to acknowledge, to say to somebody, like, I believe that you care about your pet and that you're a good person to start the relationship like that, to start the relationship at Emancipet, saying to people, oh, no, I know that you care. And I want to help you because I know you care is already making people value themselves and what they're able to do, how they're able to love in in a way that unfortunately, like you said, a lot of our systems do not offer to, um, that's part of our injustice system. They, we don't offer that, that compassionate outlook to so many members of our, of our country. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I think, and some of that, um, is baked into our DNA at Emancipate. We, um, we are a we're very much an organization that spends a lot of time thinking about who we are under this. Like who would we be if we didn't do veterinary care, but we sold tires, you know, something totally different. And our identity would be the same. And our, our foundational belief statement that every single employee at Amanda's pet knows that everything is based on is we believe that people love their pets and they will do what is best for them when given the opportunity period. So if you start from there, then 
you don't think your job is to talk someone into doing the right thing. Your job isn't to coerce someone into doing the right thing. Your job is to be a facilitator and a connector between um, the care that we know folks actually need for their pets and the decision for them to do it because we believe that they are good. We believe that everybody wants to do the right thing. And if you if you go one layer deeper than that, it's a deep faith in humanity. We believe people are good. And if you believe that people are good, then I, I like to say that that foundational belief statement that we believe everyone loves their pet and will do what is right for them when given an opportunity. That is both a, um, it is, it is both a, an outcome of the work that we do and also a starting point for the work that we do, if that makes sense. So we start there and then you get that as a result as well. Um, yeah, it's, um, it totally makes sense because it is circular. And that's what I love about nonprofits is that the work isn't uh, it's not linear or hierarchical or static or right. it's it's a circle. It's, it's always fluid. It's always moving. It's always adapting, which is what I love the most about nonprofit world, uh, the, the, the nonprofit world. But I totally I totally hear what you're saying, because how how would so many people's lives be different if they weren't told they're a piece of nothing yeah. um, or that they didn't care? Uh, how, how, what would be the outcome in return if we started there? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I, I think it changes the dynamic of, you know, the conversations. And we, it, this isn't so much anymore, but, you know, 15 years ago when I was first starting this work, there was within the animal welfare sheltering movement, people and from a very good place just wanted to convince everybody to spay and neuter their pets totally good thing to do, but would come at it from this very combative place. Like if you don't spay and neuter your pets, you're just, sure. a, you're a jerk, you're an irresponsible pet owner. And then they would say, and then the person that they were talking to would say, um, screw you. I'm not going to, you know, get my course. And then they would say, and, and then they would, they would use that as proof that people are bad and won't do the right thing. And they're irresponsible. And I'm like, but we can do the same thing on the flip side. If we start by saying, you know, I can see how much you love your dog. Oh my gosh, your dog is so sweet. Hey, by the way, if you ever decide or when you decide that you want to get your dog neutered, here's where we can do it. Here's the price. Um, we'd love to take care of you and your pet. Totally different reaction, right? Totally different decision gets made. And then I draw a different conclusion. So same guy, two sets of approaches and two different conclusions are drawn, at, not just about the animal, but about who that person is. And then two different people walk away. One person walks away with a diminished view of humanity and, and yes. we walk away with an enhanced view of humanity. And so it's all a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, in a lot of ways. I totally agree with you. And I'm, I'm sure you know Lori Weiss from, yes. um, from yes. Los Angeles. She Amazing human. The, um, we, I refer to her as the Mother Teresa of, yes. of animal, animal welfare in Los Angeles, if not, you know, California or the U.S. Oh, she's, yeah. I, yeah, she's beyond. Next level, <laughs> beyond. Yeah. And I've had the great pleasure of working alongside her at South LA and, and at some of her clinics and to watch her in action, just to watch her talk about playing the long game, make friends with people in communities in LA that nobody else goes to. Yeah. Um, watching animals, you know, not be treated the way she wants or not be spayed, not be neutered and befriending, um, engaging, making connections. So that two years later, same owner comes to her and says, I'm ready now. Um, because she, she built trust. That one person coming to her is not just one person coming with that dog. It's all that person's relationships and their family. And now, now the whole family is changing. Yeah. Now their whole friend circle is changing. A whole community is changing. Yeah. Because Lori Weiss yeah. and Downtown Dog Rescue just 
didn't judge. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just absolutely. Leaned in, had a conversation, danced together. It's it's so so um remarkable to see the the side effects, but you have to be willing to hope and believe that it can happen. Yes. I think that's completely correct. Yeah. So is there an animal that you can attribute the beginning of like the change from from United Way to all the steps that you went to get to Emancipate. I know you were always an animal lover. And by the way, kudos, bird and wolf. Those say a lot about you. It wasn't like, you know, dog and cat. You were like bird and wolf people. I'm, I'm in it. I am the dog. I don't just like dogs. I am the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I, I'm, I feel the same way. Um, but is there one or several animals in your life who you can really attribute as like, I would not be in this role at Emancipate. I wouldn't have this life. This animal really changed and opened up something, shifted something in me. No, I've, I've been thinking about that question um, a lot um, since you reached out. And and I, it's not really like one that shifted anything in me. I, I will say that I... Um, I was put on a particular path, though, and there were animals that were in that um, in that shifting of path. So what I mean by that is that um, I, as a lifelong animal lover, what did I do the first time I got that uh, first job? I got my first paycheck, literally got my first paycheck for my first job after I graduated from college. And I went down to what was then the Town Lake Animal Center in Austin, and I adopted a dog. First thing I did. Um, so adopted this scruffy little dog put him in the car and drove to PetSmart, let him pick out whatever he wanted, took him to my little apartment. And, um, and he, he was a wonderful dog. The, nothing about my heart changed when I got that dog because I was already that person. But yeah, he was a very bad dog, <laughs> like super naughty. I mean, destroyed all of the carpet in that apartment and, you know, tore down the blinds and did all these things. So I started taking him to um, puppy kindergarten class and then a doggy daycare class at the Austin Humane Society. And I think that experience of being there kind of really opened my eyes because they said, oh, we're looking for volunteers. And I was like, oh, sign me up for that. I want to volunteer. So I started walking dogs at the shelter. Um, and then I started getting more and more into the animal space because previously all my nonprofit work had been helping um, underserved communities, mostly youth around education um, and kind of some other issues with youth too. Um, but I hadn't actually connected my passion for kind of social justice and community change to the animal piece. So I started volunteering at the Humane Society as a result of that. And just, you know, many, many years went by. And the real, I think, animal experience that that put me on the path to get to Emancipate was I was volunteering at that Humane Society during Hurricane Katrina. And um, many of the animals from Hurricane Katrina were brought to the Humane Society. So, which is crazy if you think about just how far we are from the coast, but, you know, wow. animals were just moving inward and um, more and more inland, right? And the Humane Society took in um, a, a good number of dogs and, uh, and, and some cats too. And by that point, I had been volunteering enough that I was, you know, really good at handling kind of some of the naughty dogs. Um, and I was working with them. And at that time, I had not yet made the shift in my consciousness that I have now around 
um, and really having the awareness of why animals are sometimes in the shape that they're in. So the dogs that I was working with um, were in really bad shape. They were just rough. None of them were yeah. neutered. Um, they had a lot of um, obviously really chronic veterinary um, health issues, um, some kind of open wounds. You could tell some of them had, you know, ropes or chains instead of real collars. And I'm I'm honestly like it pains me to tell this story, but I, I tell it because I think it's important to remember that we all have change to go through. Um, So when I think back at that time, what I remember is I was very judgy, right? I I was working with those animals and I was very animal protective. And I felt like who would have a pet like this and, and treat an animal like this? Like, this is just terrible. And I was just all kind of angry about it until um, one day the owners of those animals were bussed in from the convention center because they were going to come there to actually visit their pets. And I remember it so vividly because the doors to the auditorium opened where we were keeping these dogs. And these were like, some of these dogs were like really hardcore. Like there was this chow chow named Buttercup that everybody was terrified of because she was not nice. And the families walk in and these dogs just change. They went from like hard, stiff, like aggressive, nervous in their environment to like soft puppies and like body language shifts. And they, like they start wagging their tails. And I'm like watching this transformation happen in these dogs. And I'm watching these people and they're crying and they're just joyful. And I'm going to cry right now telling you the story. But it makes me want to cry. (laughs) (laughs) But the people were so happy seeing their pets and, I just was like, oh, my gosh, I think I got some stuff wrong here, you know, on a deep level. I got some stuff wrong. And so I started talking to them and I I was hearing these stories about the reason that they are there is because these are the folks that wouldn't leave and they wouldn't leave because they're pets. So they told me these stories about, you know, floating their dogs down flooded streets in laundry baskets. One guy told me that the National Guard came by in a boat, said, get in the boat. He said, can I bring my dog? They said no. And he was like, no. So the amount of love that they had for their animals was so profound that they risked their lives. And none of their animals were spayed or neutered and they weren't in good care and they'd never been to the vet and they had, you know, collars and uh, chains instead of collars, right? So that moment, which I got there because of my bad little dog, right? I started volunteering. (laughs) But that moment is the moment that I think changed my entire life because I I was like, this is just not right. If, if, If you can love a pet enough to risk your life for them, but you can't afford veterinary care and they have to suffer because of that, that is not right. And I want to fix that. So that is really the thing that, you know, shifted for me. Amy. I'll never forget that story. That is, I never forget it either. It's always right there for me. It's always right there for me. What a huge thing to witness. We don't always get to, we don't always get to experience the things we need to learn. You know, we read about them in books or someone tells them or we hear it, but to experience it like that, you changed on the spot. It's why I love being at the animal shelter in general. I mean, not a lot of people love to be in an animal shelter. I love to be in an animal shelter. Not that my heart doesn't break. Not that it, you know, I don't have to go home and, you know, take a bath and cry. But it's it's a, it is an it's a transformative experience. You will always see the best in people. If you want to see the worst, I'm sure you can find it, but you will see the best. Yeah. Uh, and I've been in that judgy space and I, I can't put into words, I really have not found a way to put into words the profound freedom that I have felt in letting go of it. Yes. 
just how freeing it is to let go of that judgment. How fun, right? It's so fun and playful and silly and a celebration (laughs) to get to work with these animals the minute you put that down. Oh, absolutely. And the animals don't want it from us. I have uh, Mm. just as another like example, I share your feelings so much about the Humane Society and working at animal shelters. I was volunteering there. I volunteered eight years before coming to Emancipate and just loved every minute of it. But I remember the first time I really interacted with a dog who was just in really rough shape, had obviously had some really traumatic experiences. Her name was Rose. She was this little black chow chow dog mixed. And I remember like I, I walked up to her kennel. I saw her and I just started crying because I was just like, oh my gosh, this poor dog has been through so much and somebody did something terrible to this dog. <laughs> and I opened the kennel door and she looks up at me and, you know, I'm crying and I'm like hooking up her leash and she like gets up tail wags and she's like, let's go. And like, she was like, come on, let's go. We're going, we're going to go play, right? We're going to play with the ball. And it's like, that's the thing is like, they don't need our, our judgment of other humans. They don't need our sadness for them. What they they need is our willingness to experience joy in the moment with them. Right. And if, you know, let's change the world so they don't need to be rescued as much. And that's like the, the thing that I try to take away from all of this is like, we don't need to rescue animals from people. We need to change the world so they don't need rescuing in the first place. And that's what I think we're trying to do here. I think you are definitely succeeding in doing that. And I, I, I really want to take a moment to highlight what you said, because that was another, that's another big lesson. And, and, and it's one that I'm still learning all the time, which is I can have my feelings and I can have all my me, me, me love about me, 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 the animals. And it's all me. But when I'm there at the shelter or when I'm, ha- when I have a foster or when I'm talking to you or yeah, a- any opportunity I can to interact, it's like, it, no, nobody, they don't need, they don't need it. No. They don't want it. And you miss out on what's actually being offered in the moment. And, and that's what they teach me every time I'm with them. It's, Absolutely. it's like the best reminder. Yeah. I don't even know what else to say other than wow. And I want to hear more. We're going to take a quick break um, and we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. It's Katya. I know I'm your non-agro animal friend, but I still got to do right by the animals. So today I'm going to tell you that Emancipet has spayed and neutered more than 400,000 animals. They are on a mission to make veterinary care affordable and accessible for everyone because they do envision a world where every pet can live a healthy and happy life and every family can provide that for their animals. So today we're asking for everyone to consider donating $16 to Emancipet. I know that sounds like a random number, but it's not. It would help them meet their goals. Their goals to just give every animal the opportunity to receive high quality, top-notch veterinary care. And um, I envision a world and a future where that's possible right along with them. So if you're able and willing to donate 16 bucks, we would appreciate it. If you can't, we still love you and thank you for loving animals. Welcome back to The Animal That Changed You. We're here talking with Amy Mills, CEO of Emancipet. Um, when we started this episode, you talked about the big vision mm. that the hope allows you to have a big vision that you're pushing for. And I yeah. guess I really wanted to ask you that moment at the shelter that changed you. And I love that it's a moment uh, with, involving a lot of animals. And I can see where where that has led you and how it opened up your whole life and how it yeah. was aligned for you. It's what you were here to do. Yeah. But when you talk about this big vision that you push for and hold out hope for. What is it? Can you share with us what that big vision looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I will tell you that 
some of the vision I think is, it got blurry for me last year during the pandemic because mm. um, things are shifting right now. And since the pandemic started, things are shifting in our country around animals in a way that was really unforeseen. So I, when I, when I say that we have this vision of making sure that everyone in the country can access veterinary care when they need it at, at a, at a price they can afford that that's the vision that has been my vision for the, the entire 15 years that, you know, I've been doing this work. And I, I mean, <laughs> I deeply believe that um, that we can do it. You know, we've built a, a model that is successful. We're offering very low cost veterinary care that is very high quality and we're doing it consistently. And we've shown that if you open the doors, people absolutely come. You don't have to convince people to do this. Right. So so that's the vision. The hard part for me about it right now is that. Um, we are facing a really unprecedented shortage in the veterinary workforce. Um, there are too few veterinarians for the number of pets that exist now in this country. So wow. what's been happening is the number of pets has been increasing. So in the, a couple of years ago, we actually, as a country, we passed a really interesting milestone, which is that more households now contain pets than children under 18. So wow. that's wild. Like that is just think about the generational shift that has been happening right around yeah. animals because we more of us own pets now more of us own more than one pet more of us view our pets as children or family members than ever before yes. i mean it's different than when i was a kid right so it's really shifting and and we don't have a veterinary workforce that is um the size or capability of managing all of those animals we don't have enough veterinarians and we've opened there three veterinary schools have opened around the country in the last year and that just tells you kind exciting. of where we are. It's really exciting, but we're going to need more. We're going to need, we really need to think about like this as a strategic problem. How do we get more veterinarians or how do we increase the number of uh, veterinary technicians and leverage those better? Or how do we create a veterinary paraprofessional level? So when I think about the big vision, my vision was that we just need to open more clinics like Emancipet. Now, I believe we have to open more clinics like Emancipet and all the underserved communities, all the socially vulnerable communities in the country. But I also think that we're going to have to do something on a strategic level to really shift the workforce so that because at this point, not everybody is going to have access to care. Right. And yeah. if we don't have enough veterinarians, then that's going to become even more competitive. Right. And the people who have the least amount of resources are going to get pushed even further to the side. And that's what I'm worried about. So my big picture vision is that we can adjust that as well through some advocacy, um, through advocating for more vet schools, for um, advocating for states to actually allow a veterinary paraprofessional, like a nurse practitioner um, kind yes. of thing that we haven't human health care because we have a human health care um, physician shortage as well especially in primary care we're seeing the same thing here so we're going to have to have some new strategies and that's going to require state level advocacy um, it's going to yes. require the states to do some things differently and it's going to require the profession to think differently as well and i would i um it's a legitimate concern yeah that i i had i did not know any of this it's really fascinating to hear about and it also allows for the conversations to start happening, I think, in the uh, veterinary world about inclusivity. Yes. And, you know, um, how, 
just just opening up the idea of who your vet is yes and w- where you can find your vet and who they how they serve your family and are and are part of community i think it's very exciting for those conversations that are i feel like do overdue absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. To start happening yes and you know every industry goes through you know big you know sea change moments and yeah. i think that we're in one of those now and you know when you have a, a shortage like this it's one of the reasons why i think our model has been successful is because one of the elements of the emancipate model is that we're high volume so one veterinarian is able to impact more animals because of the number of technicians that work with them and the way we kind of you know set up our services and that is a viable model in an environment when you're this resource constrained, um, both at a, at a low cost version like what we do and at a high cost version. Um, so it's an, it's a really exciting time to be in this space. I am just I'm really deeply committed to this idea of healthcare for all <laughs> uh, humans and animals. <laughs> Me too. Um, and I think the more we um, we can have really open conversations, like you say, and we can really think about um this space critically and lovingly, um, because that's what it's going to take. We've got to kind of hold this space and, and make sure that as things become difficult and complex, we don't leave out people who don't have money. Um, that's, I think, yeah. the big thing. I mean, uh, we've been blaming people who don't have money, uh, yes. I think, our, our, our the entirety of our country. And it's... Uh, it, it's I'm so grateful for the, the, the generations now, you know, the, the David Hogue, the, the, mm-hmm. the generations of now who are just so done with it yeah. that they will not allow anybody to have those conversations without, without at least feeling really bad about it. You know, like yes. they won't allow people to continue those, those falsehoods. Yes. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. It's, it's, things are definitely changing. Yes. Um, and I'm so committed to the animals as well, but I'm also so committed to what Emancipet is doing and to supporting you and your work. Thank you. And I'd love um, for you to tell our listeners how we can get involved. What is a meaningful way, whether we live in Austin or not, that we can support Emancipet and follow everything that you guys are doing? Oh, absolutely. Um, so we, if you go to our website, um, emancipet.org, you can sign up to receive our, um, you can sign up to receive our newsletter. Um, we have a donate now button. I would love for you to click it. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, what's, what's beautiful about our model is that we do bring in some um, earned revenue through the clinics that we provide, but we only cover about 80% of the cost of what we are providing through that means. And so we have to look to donors to help us cover the other 20%. Um, so we always need donations. It is absolutely critical for us to um, to be able to subsidize the very, very low prices that we charge um, to the clients that we have. Um, and we're always looking for ways to get involved, especially for folks who live in the Central Texas area, in Houston, in Philadelphia. There are direct opportunities to to get involved, to volunteer, um, you know, and when you don't live there, there are many, many ways to help spread the word. We need people to talk about this issue. We need people to talk about the fact that if you love animals, then you should be advocating for all animals to have access to veterinary care they can afford. So um, we, we just need to get that word out. Um, people can, you know, say in, in lieu of gifts for my birthday, you can make a donation to Amanda, yes. you know, all of those kinds of things make a difference. And to be completely honest with you, 
we've figured out that um, based on our kind of 80% of our uh, expenses being covered, you can sponsor one visit to an Emance Pet Clinic for $16. So $16 on average is what allows us to have one animal come in and receive services because that's the donation amount that we need. The rest of it will be covered by that owner, right? So, you know, think about that. If you can give $16 to Emance Pet, you're helping one pet get services that day. If you can give $160 to Emance Pet, we can multiply that. If you want to give $1,600 or $16,000. So if you think about that, that's a, a really direct way that you can help animals in need in a variety of different communities. Wow. Uh, $16. $16. I mean, I can't wait to ask for my birthday gift of, you know, <laughs> yes. just donate to Emancipat. I like the way by when you said donate button, when you said website that we heard our chime, our <laughs> amen from the world came in and said, yes. Um, yes. Yes. Any last thoughts on, you know, encouraging people this paradigm shift on how we think about, um, you know, how we think about animals, uh, how we think about people, how we think about one another, this love, this love that you are helping to be a, a, a I'm going to knight you. I'm going to like get a sword and knight you as the knight of love. Um, <laughs> any, any any things that you want to, people to keep in their mind or questions to ask themselves? I feel like yeah, you I have think, wisdom here. I think so. Um, I'll say it on, on two different levels. So I think on the level of if you're if you're an animal lover and maybe you're involved in, you know, sheltering or um, rescue or anything like that, that is it's really, really important. And when I think about just on order of magnitude, um. We think that there's 50 million dogs and cats living in households whose income is so low that they can't afford veterinary care, some or most of the time. Um, And there's maybe 4 million animals a year um, still uh, coming into animal shelters and rescue. So uh, just on order of magnitude, the number of animals that need our help that live in homes is just far, far greater. So I like to remember both. We always want to help shelter animals. That's where I got my start. That's where my heart is. But to remember that um, sometimes the animals that are the ones that are most at risk in a community are the ones we don't see. Um, And so I think that's important to keep in mind. And through no fault of their own, right? Um, And then the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, everybody is truly doing their best and they are they are trying through difficult circumstances. And as you spoke to before, this country has some pretty um, extreme economic uh, segregation um, and economic stratification. And it's time for us to not blame the people who have um, ended up at the bottom of that heap for ending up there and saying, as a result, they don't get access to the same kind or the same quality of services as the rest of us. And I think that that goes well beyond just veterinary care. It goes well beyond just um, emancipate. I think that we are all better off when everybody has um, kind of much more equitable access to the things that make a life worth living. And in my opinion, having an animal is one of the things that has made my life the most worth living of of anything I have. It is one of the most profound relationships I've ever had. so I hope that we can take our love for animals and extend that love to the people who love them too. The way you say come in and you reach out and and open up um, as a as a person and as the person in charge of Emancipate is what I've been trying to say <laughs> is so inspiring. Oh, and um, you re- you absolutely renew not only my my mission and my commitment 
but also my hope. And I thank you so much for that. I thank you for coming here and talking to me, talking to all of us, sharing with us. And I thank you so much day in and day out for what you're doing. Thank you so much. It's always a privilege to be able to talk about this work. I feel really, really lucky to have fallen into it and feel really lucky to have met you too. So thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks. Thank you, Amy. Thank you all so much for tuning into The Animal That Changed You, a weekly podcast that features extraordinary people talking about the extraordinary animals that changed their lives. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a review. Search for us on Instagram at The Animal That Changed You or on Twitter at T-A-T-C-Y podcast and tell your friends. And if you've got a story about an animal that changed your life, tell me about it. Message me, tag me. I would love to hear. I appreciate you. I love your animals and I'll see you next time.